Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Expeditions on the Engaging Faith podcast. I'm your host, Charles Frame. Uh, this week, we're going to take another random excursion, and we're going to look at the scriptures in 2 Chronicles 7.14. Many of you know this passage of scripture, or you've heard it before. It's the famous, if my people uh, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Uh, that passage of scripture we want to delve into a little bit more. So uh, before we do that, I just want to remind you uh, that you can follow us on anchor.fm and subscribe to the podcast that way and also become a financial donor to help support this work. Uh, you can also get the podcast uh, on all the other major platforms. I want to encourage you, too, to go check out our website at qministryproject.org, where you'll find more information about us. And then also, share it with your friends. The more people that are listening to the podcast, the more impact we can have. So I uh, just want to encourage you to do that, and I want to thank you uh, for being a faithful listener. So without further ado, we're going to jump into this uh, excursion and see what God has to say to us. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. You know what? God, God in this passage has laid out a process that I think uh, we, need to, we need to really study and ask God to, to reveal and open up in our hearts and in our minds and soul about, you know, Am I really doing this? Am I really moving forward? Over the past weeks, we've talked about God's glory. We've talked about humility. We've talked about what it means to pray and to seek God's face. And have realized some things that, that I hope as we move forward in the upcoming weeks and months and, and years that it, it'll make an impact on you guys. And, you know, one of the things just since last week when we were talking about seeking God's face... Um, when I was reading, I read a, I read a great comment uh, from Mark Batterson, and, and he said, you know, there's something that will revolutionize the way that you move forward in your relationship with God and how you view and see the Word of God. And that is that we don't read the Word. The Word of God wasn't meant to be read reactively. Okay. It's meant to be prayed. And that, that really stood out to me as I am sitting and thinking about this passage that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And I just thought about that idea of, God, why did you put pray and seek my face together? I mean, do you realize that in the, in the, in the Jewish tradition, in the rabbinic tradition, that every word in Scripture okay, it's said to have 70 faces and 600,000 meanings. This is what the Jewish rabbis in the Talmud say, and the Talmud is, is the Jewish commentary of the Old Testament. So all of the rabbinical tradition and, and commentary about the Old Testament is what the Talmud contains. That's what it is, okay? And they say it has 70 faces and 600,000 meanings. And when you stop for a minute and you begin to realize the truth of, of, of what they're saying is you begin to understand why you can read a scripture 20 million times, right? And it speaks something a little bit differently to you than what it may have in the past. You see like a kaleidoscope, right? 
if you just take that kaleidoscope and you put it up to your eye and you look through it and you never twist it, you'll never see the, 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 the numerous indefinite combinations of color and light that comes through that kaleidoscope, right? You'll just see those pieces of glass as they are without ever moving it. Well, that's the whole idea of the 70 faces and the 600,000 means for every word. There's a reason, guys. I mean, I think I said a couple of weeks back that, you know what, we really have to, in, in our study of the Word of God, ask questions. And you guys hear me say all the time, you know, God isn't afraid of your questions, is he? At all. He's, he's invited you through the Word of God into a dialogue, a conversation, where he's revealing everything about who he is, about, about his character, about uh, the way that he sees and, and understands. Well, you know what? I can't even say the word understand. God doesn't understand. God is understanding, right? But, but he begins to reveal who he is to us. And if you don't dig, if you don't seek the face of God, if you don't, if you don't do that, and you don't do it through the concept of prayer, then you're not in communion and dialogue with the Creator. And how's He supposed to reveal truth to you? How, how is the Holy Spirit going to bring you into remembrance of something that you're not putting into yourself? You know, the worst times in my walk with, with Christ, I mean, period, the worst times where, where I, I'm just failing miserably and faltering, I can always look and see that I'm not reading, right? That I'm not, I'm not picking up God's word. I'm not seeking his face. You know, I may be praying. I might be doing that part, right? But I'm not studying. I'm not reading. I'm not allowing God's word to speak to me. I'm out of kilter. I'm off balance. And there's, there's things that, that God has told us. You know, it's amazing when you really stop and think that God tells us what to do, right? You know, we ask these questions. You know, how am I supposed to pray? How do I study the Word? How do I read? How do I do this? How do I do that? Yada, yada, we go on and on and on. And the whole time, God's telling us what to do. God's showing us. He's revealing in His Word. And He's, and he's calling us to discover what that truth is. Seek my face. Pray. And, and God is saying, you know what? This isn't something that you just do once, Right? Go out and buy your one-year Bible, right? Open it up and read through the Bible in a year. Great thing. We all need to do it. We all should do it. That's one aspect of it, right? But if that's all that I do, then, then I'm not going to get all that God has for me. And, and one reason is, one of the things I didn't get to talk about last week in seeking my face is that, you know, when we dig into the Word of God, and we begin to explore that word and allow God to speak to our heart and to speak to us, then we need to do something else. And in, in Psalms 119, I believe, the word meditate is, is used eight or nine times in that passage. And meditate on the word of God is used innumerable. I mean, it's just all through the Old Testament and New Testament. And what what is what does that word conjure up when you think about meditate? Think on. Are you afraid to do it? A lot of believers are afraid to do it. 
And you know why? Because they've sat in a service or they've had a they've had somebody tell them that you know what? If you visualize this, if you do that, that's Eastern meditation and and all of that. And what what and that comes from not understanding what meditation is in Scripture. You know, the idea of this you know Swami Chuck sitting there with his legs crossed and the, you know doing this deal and you know, clearing my brain of all thought, right, and just opening myself up. That's what we think about meditate because that's, that's the popular, secular, Eastern mysticism and all that junk that comes along with it. Meditation scripturally is the opposite of that. Meditation scripturally is filling your mind and your heart and your soul with the Word of God, not emptying it, filling it. And then stopping to think and to ponder that and to allow God to speak to you. It's, li- it's, it's literally, if you heard that, that idea, and I'm going to share a little bit of, of what the brain does, about uh, you got to be on a different wavelength. Have you heard that term? That's literally true. Because what happens is your brain, it oscillates with beta waves at 13 to 25 oscillations per minute or so. Okay, with beta waves. That's what the brain needs to take all of this right here and on a very surface level take in information and data. When you're, when you cal- when you're in a state of calm alertness where you're just relaxed and you're calm, the brain switches to alpha waves, which are a lower oscillation. And what they found is your brain to get into deeper truth and to begin to truly understand deeper meaning, your brain needs to be operating on alpha waves at a slower oscillation. So med- meditation, you're literally getting on a different wavelength. That's what you're doing. And you're allowing what you're reading, okay, what your brain's taking in on the beta waves, and you're allowing that to sink in through the meditation process. Okay? And we need to do that. And we, we need to not be afraid of that because in the great commandment, God tells us to do something. And that's love the Lord thy God with what? With, wait a minute. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your... Now stop for a second. With all of your mind. You have two sides of your brain, don't you? You have the left side and you have the right side of the brain. The left side is for knowledge, right? Learning, all those kinds of things. The right side is emotional, your imagination, that part of the creative side. You know what's happening in a lot of churches and a lot of believers' lives? We're one or the other. I can give you some great examples. I was sharing this with Pastor Mike yesterday. I said, man, the Baptist church, okay, left-brainers, right? Big-time left-brainers, right? Assembly of God charismatic churches, woo, big-time right-brainers. <laughs> Guess what? We're all lopsided, aren't we? We need to bring back and do what God told us to do, which is to love him with all of our mind, which takes the imagination, it takes the emotions, it takes the creative side that God created, and it blends it and it works it with the knowledge side and the reasoning side. And we have to pull that together and ask God to give us balance. God, show us what that means in our life, in my life. And guess what? Every bit of that falls right here, doesn't it? 
falls under seeking my face. That gets in here into prayer. St. Ignatius of, of Loyola said he came up with a term called imaginative meditation. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. What would it be like if when you're reading the word of God and you're in dialogue with God and you looked at the passages where Christ is being taken and, and he's going down the Via Della Rosa and he's carrying his cross and the people are mocking him, right? And you stopped for a second as you read those words and instead of reading them already knowing what the ending is and glossing over it, you read it and you said, God, help me to see what you saw. Help me to, to feel it, to see it, to smell it. And you put yourself in your brain in the middle of the Via Della Rosa. And you saw and you tried with the right side of your brain to imagine what was going on when they laid that cross down and he was laid down and they nailed those nails in. You wanted to hear the sound of the nail and seeing the wince and, 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 and the, the body convulsions and see the looks on people's face and try to see what was going on around and what that would have felt like to you know when you do that? You did it when you, read, when you watched and you heard that movie that Mel Gibson put out. What was the name of it? Passion? Passion of the Christ. And what did that do to you? That was the right side of your brain working. It was triggering those emotions. It was triggering those synaptic interactions and chemical reactions that take place in your brain to cause you to feel and to smell and to see and to, to know what was happening in that moment. That's why it was so impactful to you. And God's telling you, use your whole brain. Love me with, with your entire mind. Seek my face. Imaginative meditation. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about visualization to make your reality. That's the, that's the Eastern lie about what, about what meditation is. But God's told us to pray and to seek his face and to turn from our wicked ways, then he's going to do something, right? Does he do it before? He doesn't, does he? He's told us exactly what we need to do, and he told us in the Old Testament that we've got to seek God's glory, those who are called by my name. We've got to seek God with a contrite heart full of awe and wonder, because humility does that. When we finally allow ourselves to break down and to say, God, pour me out and let me, let me see who you are in my life, then our eyes are open to God's heart and to the wonders of who he is and how he wants to work, but not until you come to God with a contrite heart. We've got to seek him in prayer. We've got to seek God in his word because here God speaks and he reveals who he is in our life and what he wants to do. When we've done that, it causes us to turn. It causes us to redirect ourselves and to say, God, who are you in my life? God, forgive me of, of the sins that, that I've committed. God, forgive me of putting myself before you. And when we turn back to God, God hears us. And that's something that, you know, I don't do very well all the time. 
There's times I'll go months and months and I'll do part of it, you know. I'll pray, I'll, I'll, I'll think I'm humbling myself and I'll pray about something and I come with this satchel full of needs, right? Satchel full of wants and satchel full of, of things that I just want to cast out in front of God and ask God to work in and to do. But I haven't humbled myself. I haven't sought out the face of God. I haven't asked him what his heart and his will is. I need some people to grab some passages for me. Who will go and get 1 John chapter 5, verse 14? <coughs> you got that, man? And then someone grab James 5, verse 13 through 16. Luke 11, check, uh, chapter 11, verses 2. You got that? 2 through 3. And then Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. God's called us to be transformed. And that's his process of, of transformation. And we know that transformation, that, you know, it took place at the point that we were saved. It took place at the point that, that we invited and asked God. I shouldn't even use the word invited, I guess, right? That's the wrong word. But when, when we ask God to forgive us, when we ask God to be the Lord of our life, in that moment when we were saved, we're, we were a new creation. God transformed us. This is how we walk in that transformation. And we begin to just realize who God is and the power of God. And guys, that's a lifelong deal, right? It's not something that you're going to walk out and, aha, I got it out of a Sunday school class or out of a Sunday morning service or a Wednesday night class. It's something that when you walk away from here, that you commune with God, you're, you're in dialogue with God, you're seeking God in your own everyday life, and God begins to reveal himself to you. 1 John 5.14 This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, did that say if we ask anything, anything that we lift up in prayer, does that say that God has to do it? Does it say that, man, when I petition the throne of grace and God the Father and, and I say it and name it in the name of Jesus, that he's going to give me whatever I pray for and whatever I ask? Now, we've got that out there. I mean, I, we can go right to the scripture where Jesus' own words are. Anything that you ask in my name shall what? Be shall be given, right? Now, I can pull that piece of uh, scripture out, and I can just take those words and say, man, if I come in here and I pray away, whatever it is, whatever my needs are, and I say, in the name of Jesus Christ, at the end of that prayer, that I'm going to get it. Is that what that passage means? There's no way that that passage means that. There's no way that it means it because all of the scripture, all of the word of God is in harmony with one another. And when I take that scripture and I put it up against this, and I put it up against the other teachings of Christ, I see a very different picture. I've got to be in the will of God, and I cannot find the will of God for my life if I skip these things. And I want you to understand, this isn't an A, B, C, D, okay? That's not what it is. It's a heart that says, you know what, God, I want to hear you speak to me. God, I want to know what your word means. God, I want to understand what it means to love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all my mind, and all my strength. 
And God, I want your Holy Spirit to speak to my soul, to my heart, to who I am, what that means, and then how to live it. Then God will hear my prayer. Then God will forgive my sin. Then God will heal my land. We have to be aligned with the will and the purposes of God. Me running out and telling God, you know what, give me a big check to pay off my house and I like that Mercedes Benz and, you know, whatever your list of things are. That's not aligning yourself with the will of God. James 5, verse 13 through 16. Is anyone among you suffering? <coughs> Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Why would why does God even hear you? Why would he hear me? Why would he care? I shouldn't have told y'all that I'm recording because man, I <laughs> I'd have gotten a whole lot more responses than I'm getting. Here I'm gonna turn it off. Okay. You know what? God wants to hear us. God's told us he wants to hear us. He loves his kids. The effectual fervent prayer of a what? <clears throat> of a righteous man avails much. And your righteousness doesn't come from yourself. It comes from God. And that righteousness in our life is birthed, it's planted, it's grown. It's made whole in us because of God working in us. It doesn't happen in that relationship with God, it doesn't happen if I sit in a corner and I don't do anything. Does it? I mean, it can't. I can't find God. I can't find what his, his will is. I can't find what his purpose is. But there's a whole lot of Christians running around feeling like they can, and they don't have one bit of relationship with God in every day at all. They don't do life with God. I mean, you're putting all this up here, and the first thing that comes to my mind is you can't do that in an hour or two on Sunday. No. And that, that's not going to happen in one or two hours of your Sunday. And then you put God back in his box till next Sunday. And I think our, our prayers are not – we don't have any power in our prayer if, we're, if we don't have that relationship. If we're, because we can't our, – our own will is – sinful will. I mean, that's, you know, we, we want God do this for me, God do this for me. But when we pray, we ask in His in His will, well, what's His will going to be? Is it going to be that I get a new Mercedes and a Rolex? Or is His will going to be that, you know, other people's basic needs are met, that other people come to a, a, a relationship with Him, that other people are pulled from hell? Because of some action or some something that you did, because you love someone enough to get involved in their life. 
11, verses 2 through 3. He said to them, when he prayed, saying, Father, hallowed be your name, the kingdom come, give us, give us each day our daily bread. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, God's told us how, how we align with his will. He's told us that, you know something, we have to be willing to say, God, your heart, your purposes, your kingdom come on earth. And when we're saying, God, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what we're really saying is, God, in every facet of my life and in everything that I'm involved in, in all the things that I think, in all the actions that I do, the choices that I make, the way that I react to circumstances, my life, my family, my workplace, you know, all of these things that, God, I want your kingdom heart in mind. I want your will and your purposes for me to be done first and foremost. I want you to be the lamp upon my feet and the light on my path and to guide me in the way that I should go. That's what God's telling us. And when we do that, then and only then, do we actually find the will and purpose that God has and we align ourselves with it? To love God means that you love the things that God loves and the things that break the heart of God break your heart. That's what it means to love God. And God's asking you and he's telling you and he's showing you how you can bring that into your everyday life. And that if you'll do that, then your prayers will change, won't they? They'll change because you will have changed. You will begin to realize that there's so much more. You'll, you will have begun to turn that kaleidoscope and begun to see the many different colors and the truth that God has for you in his word that changes who you are in your circumstance. But if you just come here and all you do is listen to me and that's it, and every now and then you pray when you're in trouble or something's not going quite right, you're not getting very far. You're what, you're, you will be what God says is a Christian who's still drinking milk when you should be eating meat. You'll be a light with a bushel over it. You'll be tossed to and fro, like the Word of God says, with every wave of... of, of turmoil or risk or problem or issue that comes into your life. And the sand will just keep eroding away. It's your foundation. And God, and you don't have to be like that. I don't have to be that way. And God's told us how we do it. You know, I kind of compare what you just said to a politician. You have the whole flip-flop thing that, you know, the whole carry campaign and everything going about flip-flopping. And, and, you know, I said then, you know, if politicians did truly what their what their heart wanted them to do, what their heart told them to do, they would stand firm and they wouldn't flip flop. And that's the contradiction, I guess, for politicians because they're not supposed to do what they want to do. They're supposed to do what their constituents want them to do. But if you're constantly doing what everybody else tells you to, or you're constantly taking in what everyone else is saying, if we just come here on Sunday and we just listen to you, or we just listen to Tony, and it's not our own, it's not us then we're going to flip-flop and we're going to toss back and forth and we're going to go back and forth and we're not going to stand firm because it's not truly what, who we are and who God wants us to be and calls us to be and, and, and how he calls us to believe. If, you, if, you, if your 
always looking for someone else's explanation for things, and you're never going Something is stuck in my heart that the church has a, a translation problem. And what I mean is that every one of us are participating in translating the Word of God. And we're doing that by our life. That dialogue and praying through the Word of God and understanding, seeking God's face, it really <coughs> becomes knowledge when I do it then I really grab a hold of it. And when I do it and I live it, I become a unique translation of the Word of God through my life. And the church has a translation problem. I keep thinking about what Christ says in Revelation is, you know, you're lukewarm. You need to hot or you're cold. And I'll spit you out. Hebrews 4.16, and we're, we'll wrap up. Who's got that? Go ahead, Joel. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, when Jesus died on that cross, the, the veil was rent in two. And you could walk into the Holy of Holies. And, and the only mediator you need is Christ Jesus. And that throne is open 24-7, 365 days a year. The face of God is, is ready to be revealed to you. And so I challenge you guys to think about the translation that you're giving. 